So I don't have a PowerPoint, but there were uh, a couple slides that I had prepared that I want to make sure I get the direct quotes on. Um, so that's why I've got my iPad out here. This will be a bit different because I'm going to start with the results and then go back and talk about the campaign. And then I'm going to go back forward into looking at the, uh, the future. So in, in, I have been saying that um, the vote was largely baked in for a very long period of time. I've been asked, you know, were you, were you surprised by the results? And I can say no, because I won the pool, uh, <laughs> at least on the seat count. And in fact, I would have got 100% right if Greg Clark had won in Calgary Elbow uh, for the Alberta party instead of Doug Schweitzer, because I had them at 61, 25, and 1. Right now, we're sitting at uh, 63, 24. But there is a number of ridings, particularly in Calgary, that could shift when they count the vote anywhere ballots. These vote anywhere ballots, I think, was an a, incredible initiative uh, of Elections Alberta, and I think it's going to be something we're going to be using forward. That was an advanced poll where you could vote anywhere in the province, and 230,000 people took advantage of that. Uh, to put that in context, there's 2.6 million eligible voters. That was about 8% of the population took advantage. The downside is they only started counting them yesterday, and we still don't have the results yet, and some of them could be very high. So Calgary, Falconridge, there was about 130 vote difference, and there's 7,000 vote anywhere. So who knows how that is going to uh, make it up. As a consequence of this, as well as the competitive election, we had voter turnout of 70%. That is remarkable. We haven't seen that rate in this province since the 1970s. To put that in context, in 2015, it was 57%. And so I think it was, it was a combination of multiple things, of a perception of a, of a competitive election, which didn't actually turn out to be as competitive, um, the work that Elections Alberta and the parties did in getting people to vote early, um, as well as a large number of first-time voters, particularly, uh, I would argue, men under the age of 35 who were disproportionately hurt by the economic downturn and had never voted before came out and voted. We'll, we'll have more evidence of that once we start doing um, some of the calculations. Um, so while the vote and the, the other interesting thing is it confirms the old adage in, in Alberta that, that you have three parts of the stool. You have Edmonton, you have Calgary, you have the rest of the province, and you have to win two out of three. And that's what the UCP did. They won rural Alberta substantially. There's 41 seats outside of Calgary and Edmonton, including small cities like Lethbridge, really rural communities and the satellite communities around Calgary and Edmonton. And the UCP took 39 out of 41 of those seats. Um, then you have Calgary, which has 26 seats. At the moment, the UCP looks like they won 23 out of 26, but there's still a couple in play. But they lost Edmonton. The NDP won 19 out of 20 seats in Edmonton. And so the UCP won two out of three, and that was enough for victory. 
They also had a much larger lead in the popular vote. Uh, it was 55-32, so a 23-point gap. And it's been uh, many years since a party won over 50% of the vote in this province. You have to go back to 2001 and, and Ralph Klein. The poor Alberta party, and I will say poor Alberta party because I think there were a lot of high hopes for them. Um, they participated in the leaders' debate for the first time. They uh, ran candidates in all 87 ridings for the first time. Their vote total jumped from 2% to 9%. Dramatic increase but they lost the seat that they had. They lost the floor crossers that had crossed over. They're not in the legislature. My expectation is Stephen Mandel is going to step down as, as leader. Um, it's going to be tough to go back to Greg Clark because Greg Clark has now lost his seat. And so you have a centrist party with 9% of the vote and great potential to move forward but without a seat in the legislature and no leader. So it's going to be tough for the political center. The Alberta Liberals, this could be, and this has been said before, but this could be the end of the Alberta Liberals. Uh, they were at 4% in 2015 with one seat. They're now at zero seats and 1% of the vote with a competitor in the center of the Alberta party. Um, the Liberals are out of uh, the legislature for the first time since the 1980s, but it's their lowest vote total uh, in Alberta in their history, and they're the oldest party in Alberta. So we'll have to see what the future of the Liberals stack up. So we have had a change in government. Um, a lot has been remarked that the NDP is the first party in Alberta's history to be removed after one term, but I think it shows that Alberta has moved into a more modern-day political system. The days of electing dynasties for 15, 30, or 44 years are gone. The idea that we'll elect that party, and then when we kick them out, we never hear from them again. So the United Farmers of Alberta disappeared uh, after they lost their election in 1935. The Socreds kind of struggled for a couple years after, but eventually withered away. The PCs voted themselves out of existence within two years of losing the 2015 election. But the NDP isn't going anywhere soon. Um, they won 33% of the vote. They've got 24 seats. They re-elected 11 cabinet ministers. They re-elected their um, leader, Rachel Notley, and by all accounts, she isn't going anywhere either. And so we now have the most important, most powerful political opposition in this province. When Rachel Notley won in 2015, there were over 70 newbies, and there were only two ministers left from the PC government. When Jason Kenney uh, looks across the uh, aisle, he's going to see 11 and 12 ministers. And he only has, besides himself, only one person in that caucus with cabinet experience, and that's Rick McIver. And uh, so if I was to put my shiny loony down, I would expect Rick McIver to be the new finance minister. Um, but that's just, uh, I feel free in making $1 bets. <laughs> okay. So how did we get here? So um, 
Janet Brown is a pollster out of Calgary, and she's a very good friend of mine. Um, and she was the only pollster that got the popular vote close. Uh, she, she did a poll in early April that showed a 20% lead for the UCP, and she was mocked because everybody else had a 10-point lead, and Janet was correct, and I owe her lunch. Um, but I was right on the seat count, so she owes me lunch. It just means we get to go to lunch more often. But Janet's been tracking public opinion. She's got a chapter in our book tracking public opinion in 2015. And the NDP high watermark was the night of the election. Uh, they actually started to trail in the polls within a couple months and never regained that lead. Um, and so they were fighting a comeback the, the whole time. Um, and so as a result of that, I think the, the results were, were baked in. Any, if you just used a generic ballot and said, we're not going to mention the jurisdiction, we're not going to mention the parties, we're not going to mention the platforms, we're not going to mention the leaders, we're just going to tell you that in this particular jurisdiction, the unemployment rate doubled, 130,000 people lost their jobs, and the, the government of the day ran a budget deficit of, uh, of over $47 billion in four years. What do you think would happen to that? government? And the answer would be they would get kicked out, and that's exactly what occurred. And then you tell them that one of the reasons that they won in 2015 is that there were two conservative parties who combined had 15 percent more votes in 2015 than the NDP, and then you said, oh yeah, and we're going to merge those two parties together. What do you think is going to happen? You would say, well, then that new conservative party would win, and that's exactly what occurred. Um, in fact, the total that the UCP got in their big victory the other night was less than what the Wild Rose and PC's vote total was in 2015. So the architect of this and the man who needs to be given credit for all of this and is the next premier of this province is Jason Kenney. I couldn't imagine anyone else who was able to um, merge those two parties. There had been an attempted merger before in December of 2014 uh, when Daniel Smith and many of her colleagues crossed the floor and joined Jim Prentice. That didn't work out very well for anybody. Everybody lost their job over that. So you had the PCs and Wild Rose. Um, the PCs had more in the vote total in 2015, but the Wild Rose had more seats. Um, the PCs had seats largely in Calgary. Um, the Wild Rose had no seats in the cities. What was it going to take to get those two together? So in the Stampede Week of 2016, Jason Kenney shows up. I don't think he'd bought his pickup truck yet. And he announced a five-point plan that was really audacious. Uh, at the time, and even seems audacious today. And he goes, step one, I'm going to win the leadership of the PC party. Even though he was a conservative, he had never been a supporter of the PCs uh, in Alberta. If anything, he was much more on the Wild Rose side. It would be if, if um, Stephen Harper was able to unite the federal conservatives by winning the leadership of the federal PC party. That's how audacious that was, and he won it in a landslide. Step two, he says, we're going to negotiate a merger agreement with Wild Rose, which was, again, not going to be easy to do. He did that. He says, and we're going to ratify that by the grassroots members of both parties, and he received over 95% support from both parties to merge them. He said, step four, I'm going to win that leadership uh, of the UCP race. 
he succeeded in doing that. I think there's still some controversies about that leadership race. I can talk a bit about that later on because that isn't ending anytime soon. And then step five is he was going to win the election. He's got an X or a check mark against every one of those steps. It was remarkable. He put up once he did get the blue Ram truck, which I was at UCP headquarters working for Global on election night, he drove the truck on stage. Well, someone else drove it. He was out shaking hands and um, and having a lot of fun. But it, it's a it's now a political icon that that truck. And I believe it's got about 260,000 kilometers on it, going from every corner of this this province. So those were some of the things that set up the the campaign. And they said, well, did the nature of the campaign Changed? Did it surprise you? I said, no, that was settled in October of 2017. That was the night that Jason Kenney won the UCP leadership race. I'm going to quote what he said that night. Okay. He goes, if we work hard, stay humble, and earn every vote, we will ensure that this deceptive, divisive, debt quadrupling, tax hiking, job killing, accidental socialist government is one and done. And when you look at their campaign, that's exactly what they did. There were two planks to the campaign. Plank one is, we're going to repeal everything that the NDP did. We're going to lower the corporate tax rate. We're going to get rid of the carbon tax. We're going to fiddle with the minimum wage. We're going to freeze the curriculum review. We're going to relook at the farm safety bill. So basically, uh, one plank was repeal everything that this accidental socialist government has done. The second is, we're going to fight on behalf of the Alberta oil sector. We are going to fight Ottawa, we are going to fight Quebec, we are going to fight BC, we're going to fight environmental groups, and we're going to fight anybody who says anything bad about the Alberta oil and gas sector. Those were his two planks, and that's what we're about to see. So Rachel Notley also previewed her campaign the next morning, and she goes, uh, this again, October 2017. We will stand up against the UCP's job-killing, climate-denying, gay-outing, school-cutting, health-privatizing, backward-looking, hope-destroying, divine agenda. That too ended up being the NDP campaign. Uh, Rachel Notley spent very little time talking about her record and much more about Jason Kenney. Uh, that occurred in her debate performance, which was extraordinary in 2015 and was a major catalyst to her winning the 2015 election. But in the 2019 debate, she began by criticizing Jason Kenney and she ended by criticizing Jason Kenney. And there were only a handful of moments where she talked about her record and, and plan moving forward. Now granted, Kenny and some of his candidates gave a lot of ammunition to her, um, but that was a clear strategy that, that she had. Um, on election, when the day the writ was dropped, um, Rachel Notley came to Calgary, Jason Kenney went to Leduc, and I've got a copy of their videos. And to understand the type of campaign that each was running, you just had to look at it and without the sound on. You didn't even need to hear it. So there's Rachel Notley in a backdrop in a daycare center and she's got kids and she's got mothers and she's got grandparents and there's people of every ethnic uh, origin behind her. Jason Kenney is in Leduc at an oil services company with a bunch of guys in hard hats uh, with a sign that said jobs economy pipeline. 
And that was his theme of the election. And so those two visuals really said the types of campaign that they would have. And that's exactly what we, what we saw. Um, so, Kenny wins. What does this mean going forward? Um, he promises very swift action. He is meeting today with Rachel Notley to work out the transition system. Um, he will need to deliver a budget because Rachel Notley did not deliver a budget before the election. Um, he's not going to have time to do a full budget. I expect the first real budget for the UCP will occur um, next year. Instead, it will largely mirror some of the preparation that the Finance Department has already done with some important tweaks like lowering the corporate taxes uh, and getting rid of the, the carbon tax. So he's got to prepare a budget uh, because the government's starting to run out of money without a supply bill. And he launches the Summer of Appeal. So Bill 1 is getting rid of the carbon tax, but he doesn't plan on just the carbon tax. The entire climate leadership strategy about an emissions cap in the oil sands, methane regulations, and the phasing out of coal is all getting going to get rid of. Um, he talks about Bill 2 being open for business, which was a major um, um, statement that he made in his victory speech, which was a very long speech, I can tell you. Um, Stephen Harper was there. Stephen Harper got a big ovation. But I think it was also a speech to the rest of the country. Um, the fact that he made an outreach to Quebec in French, I think was very deliberate, and it was a bit of a velvet hand. So we are going to, when Alberta's prosperous, Quebec is prosperous. We're natural allies and confederation, we should work together. But there is also a veiled threat that if we don't work together, uh, we are going to hold a referendum on equalization. Uh, Quebec is the largest recipient of equalization, and so there was that sort of veiled threat to Quebec. But he did open with a, with a degree of outreach. Never mentioned BC at all, but did mention it the next day, and particularly uh, the week before where he has said in his very first cabinet meeting, which could be by the end of this month, the first item on the agenda is to proclaim Bill 12, which is to turn off the TAPS legislation to shut off the flow of oil to British Columbia in a rally last week, the mayor of Vancouver had commented that his goal was to make Vancouver climate free or carbon free by 2040. And Jason Kenney said, I'm going to help you out. I'll have it done by 2020. <laughs> so expect a big fight with BC and not just a couple days of having to get away from BC wine. Uh, I expect a lot of lawyers to be involved. So then we've got the uh, um, on the summer of repeal is setting up against the federal government. Uh, you might have noticed during the campaign that Kenny talked a lot about Justin Trudeau. Uh, apparently there was this Trudeau-Notley alliance. Um, I think Trudeau is going to flip that on him in October and you are going to hear a lot about the Kenny Ford Sheer Alliance, and he is going to campaign actively against Jason Kenney. There are currently four Liberal seats in Alberta. I expect by October there will be zero, um, but he could very well make those up in other parts of the country. And so uh, campaigning against Jason Kenney is going to be tough in Alberta, but campaigning against Jason Kenney is going to help him in Quebec and B BC. So a very activist agenda, and there's a lot of questions that we can talk about uh, as my time is going. How am I for, for time? 
minutes. Eight minutes, okay. So I will spend a bit uh, more time just um, plugging my book a bit because I want to talk about what changed and what is going to change back. I think there is some permanency that a change in government is not going to reverse. One of those is we have moved into a more regular political system that resembles much of the rest of the country with a party on the left and a party on the right. That's how Saskatchewan operates, that's how BC operates, that's how Manitoba operates, uh, that's how the Maritimes operates. Um, Ontario is a bit different because they have a centrist party, uh, or at least a centre-left party in the, in the Liberals. And the idea would be you run an election, you lose, you stick around, and you win in another election later on. Um, not you win an election, you govern for 30 years, and then you disappear never to be heard from again. I think that is in there. I will go on the record now, I know there's cameras going, that the United Conservative Party will not govern for 44 years. And if I'm wrong, I'm dead, so I don't have to pay up. <laughs> But I, I, I think that has, that has changed. I think the other thing that has changed is, is the role and influence of rural Alberta. Um, there was a very long period of time where rural Alberta controlled the government of Alberta. Uh, they had a major representation in, in caucus. Um, they are, will still have a large caucus representation, except their seat total has dramatically dropped. As recently as 2001, there were more seats in rural Alberta than in Calgary and Edmonton, despite the population difference. In this last election, 41 out of 87 seats were outside of Calgary and Edmonton, but that still meant that Calgary and Edmonton had a majority. And if you include the suburbs of Cochrane, of Airdrie, of Leduc and Sherwood Park, there's now two-thirds of Alberta seats are in the two major cities and surrounding community. So the, while there's a lot of rural MLAs that are now going to be back on the government side for the first time since 2012, the 2012 election, their power and clout has been diminishing and I can't see people back to leaving the cities to move into rural communities. That has fundamentally changed as well. I think the role of, of women in politics has also shifted. Um, Laurie Williams wrote a chapter in our book comparing the leadership styles of Daniel Smith, Alison Redford, and Rachel Notley. Three party leaders, three different parties, two of them became premier. Rachel Notley had the first gender equal cabinet before Trudeau did. She had a gender equal caucus, um, and it put pressure on the UCP to nominate more female candidates. They're not at the level that the NDP is at, but they did nominate a lot more. They did elect a lot more. When they united the Wild Rose and the PC party, there were more men in the caucus named Richard than there were women. Uh, that is gone. And you're going to see some pretty powerful female cabinet ministers. I think Leela here out of Chestermere Strathmore will be in cabinet. Angela Pitt out of Airdrie will be in cabinet. I think Sonia Savage out of Northwest Calgary will be the new energy minister. Minister, so some pretty significant uh, female voices in a conservative government. They won't be at 50%, they might not even hit 40%, but I've got photos of cabinets going back to the Klein days and even Alison Redford, and there were very few women. That has changed. It would be tough to roll that, that back. Um, 
So there are things that permanently changed in, in 2015. There are things that are obviously going to change back. I think the whole energy file, you're going to see a complete shift. So Rachel Notley did bring in a climate leadership plan, and if you look at the photo in the fall of 2016 when she announced this, who was on the stage? She had senior oil executives like Murray Edwards and Steve Williams from Suncor and CNRL. She had environmental leaders, she had Aboriginal chiefs, and she had the government of Alberta, all with a common message. It was a remarkable coalition. That coalition has now been destroyed, and that climate leadership plan is going into the garbage. We will see if that makes a difference um, or not, but it's clearly something that is, is different. Rachel Notley spent more time in her concession speech talking about what she did for pipelines than she did in much of the campaign. And so her message was she introduced a carbon tax for social license. Now, social license is never going to have the support of the David Suzuki's of the world, but that's not what it was aimed at. It was aimed at more moderate people and moderate governments. So she goes, we introduced that. We worked with governments of different stripes. She talked to people right across the country. Um, when Kinder Morgan got cold feet, she convinced Justin Trudeau to buy the pipeline, so we own the Trans Mountain Pipeline now. Um, and when the Federal Court of Appeal struck down the approval of Trans Mountain in August, she got the government to redo, the federal government to redo their consultation and put forward a spill mitigation strategy. That was her strategy. It did not work, but it got a pipeline close to approval. The Kenny approach is very different, uh, creating a war room to attack critics of Alberta's oil and gas sector, to investigate environmental groups and foreign sources of funding, to sue the federal government over their um, federal carbon tax, to campaign, uh, run a referendum on equalization to force Quebec to support pipelines and to threaten the shutting off of oil to BC. Very, <laughs> you couldn't imagine a more opposite strategy than Notley. We'll have to see if it works. Notley's approach didn't work, although I think it came close. We'll have to see if Kenny's approach does, does work. So those are um, the changes that have occurred. And the last comment I'll make, because I think the sign is on there, I mentioned the UCP leadership race. Uh, there were a lot of attacks made at Kenny personally and his candidates during the campaign on white nationalism, on homophobic grounds, on women's reproductive rights. I think most of those issues will all end unless the government legislates in those areas. But what won't end is the investigations into the UCP leadership race, the kamikaze campaign of Jeff Calloway, and allegations of voter fraud in that race. And that's because it's not just Elections Alberta that's doing that. It's the RCMP. By my account, there's three separate RCMP investigations going on. The police are not going to stop. I don't know if it'll hit Kenny. I doubt that it will, but it could very well hit people in that, in that circle. And so stay tuned for how that occurs. So as I mentioned, we're going to be in for a wild ride for the next four years. Thank you.